Hey everyone, just before we get into this episode, I just want to remind you all to sign up to the mailing list for the Podcases app that's coming soon. We take you through interesting patient cases from start to finish and you get to reinforce your knowledge with an interactive quiz and see how you're doing on a live scoreboard. Sign up now on scrubbedin.co.uk to get notified when we go live. Now let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. Today we're joined by someone really amazing and special and I'd like to introduce you all to Professor Asif Ahmed who is a leading vascular scientist. He's founded Aston Medical School and is now the Executive Chairman and CEO of Merzyme Therapeutics. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our show today. How are you? Real pleasure to be here with you. Uh, um, thank you for coming all the way from London to interview me. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure and it's, it's very good to kind of go through the heart of Birmingham and I know you're a massive advocate for social mobility which we'll come and touch on later. As we've scrubbed in tradition we kind of like to hear your story, how it all started and I know you're a vascular scientist so tell us about that and I want to let tell our listeners Professor Asif is also a fellow King's alumni yeah. um, <laughs> as me and Amza. Um, so tell us about your scientific journey, how was that process? Thank you very much. So as a vascular scientist, it's something that evolves. But I was very fortunate. You talked about King's. Yes. Very fortunate that King's, at the time when I went to university, was one of the world's leading place uh, for uh, autocoids, looking at and also for looking at cells within the blood, mm-hmm. platelets. My mentor, lifelong mentor, that who recently passed away, under whose name my chair in Edinburgh was, uh, Gustav Bourne, uh, uh, was the head of pharmacology at King's. Oh, wow. And uh, and just so you know who Gustav Bourne is, because I'm just diverting a bit because it's important to realise, he was the son of Max Bourne, the Nobel Prize winner. Oh, wow. And what most people will not know, Max Bourne didn't just get a Nobel Prize. 11 of his PhD students got it wow. right and this is the son of someone like that so I got inspired by stories amazing stories about Gus and him calling Albert Einstein uncle and uh, you know it, it, I could tell you so many stories about Gus uh, and, and and he inspired my son to go to medical school oh, wow. because he said to him because my son wasn't really keen on medicine. Mm-hmm. And he said to him, uh, if you do medicine, you can do anything. That's the point. Yeah. You can be a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm. You can be a, a minister in the government. Yeah. Uh, you can be a musician. Uh, and the reason Gus did medicine mm. is because he told me a story about him and his father, Max Bourne. They were walking in Edinburgh in the hills and Gus said to him I don't think I'm thinking of doing medicine because I don't think I'm good enough to do maths (laughs) (laughs) because obviously in his household there were many Jewish refugees who came Mm -hmm. who were scientists mathematicians because Mm -hmm. Max was a mathematician essentially Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and, and, and Gus knew that he wasn't that good Mm. Well, he was pretty good, but he wasn't as good as his dad. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that was the thing. And so he said, I'm thinking of doing medicine. And uh, Max Bourne answered to him, 
that's a good idea because you will save lives and you won't get killed in the war that is coming. Right, so anyway, so that's, I just wanted to give you that little bit about. So I went to King's mm. uh, to do my degree. But before that, I went to a local school. Mm. But I, uh, where no one had gone to university from. Mm. Uh, and, but I ha- was fortunate that I was exposed to extraordinary people be- through my father. Mm-hmm. who was a scientist and, and you know, one of the f- most impressionable persons in my life mm. was Sir Raymond Rickard, mm-hmm. who was like a godfather to me. And, you know, uh, th- and he was, he's the one responsible for creating additional universities or the new universities that, that were called polytechnics. Mm-hmm. And he persuaded the government to convert their names to universities. Uh, anyway, but he, mm. he, so he was very influential in my early life, apart from my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how important do you feel being exposed to that was for you? Crucial, kind of- crucial, because my father, being an immigrant, even though he was educated, saw a brand new school, mm. must be good, yeah. <laughs> right? And he, he believed in the philosophy that if, you, if you're good, you'll come out from wherever. But I think that's not fair because some people have seriously advantaged and not necessarily because they have the drive, but because Mm -hmm. others around them have the drive. Yeah, and that naturally kind of rubs off on you. Yeah, so I think, so having exposure to Ray meant that he moved me from school to do my A-levels in a technical college. Mm and. He persuaded my father to move my brother, who was four years younger, to Latimer, which is one of the best schools in the yes, world. Um, yeah. Right. So, so, and that changed for him. And it's also exposure, exposure to students. Because in my school, you know, if you were good at sports, you were popular. I was. Yeah. I ran eight hundred meters for, uh, well, the, one of the best mm. in, in not in the school but in the county. Oh wow! Uh, oh, I wow. came second in all England championships and mm. things oh, like that. So, kind of moving on, tell us what it means to be a scientist. We have a lot of aspiring students that are kind of at crossroads in terms of, do I be a scientist? Do I pursue PhD? What is a scientist? So, scientist is somebody who has a curiosity, who wants to understand the world. Why does something happen? What? So, that's the first thing. But curiosity alone isn't enough because all young people are curious they want to learn but it's exposure so exposure is as equally important than the curiosity so we have to and then you need the third thing is the resilience because in science as you explore if you want to do a PhD and thing most things won't work but it's those who don't give up and who think differently so just because your supervisor tells you, oh, I want you to do that. But data drives ideas. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's the advantage what we have in Britain is because, you know, we, our education system does allow, our, I don't see my students as I'm their mentor, they're the mentee. I see it as we're equal, providing feedback to each other mm-hmm. so I always told my students that when we're in in discussions in in the room mm-hmm. I'm not the dean 
I am a colleague, oh. right? And so therefore, because I may, you, you're at the co-face, you're, you're doing the experiment. So mm. you might see something and you may have a different way of thinking. You might, exposures are different. So let's discuss the data mm-hmm. and then drive. So those are the things I think is important as a scientist. I want to talk a little bit about exposure now. So I feel that some of us, we're, we're sort of boxed in and confined and we don't know the other elements that are out there that we, where, where if we are exposed, we find that our passions grow. For example, um, when I was in the early parts of my medical school, medicine was all I ever knew. And then when I was, when I was exposed to leaders, managers, people who are bringing forth ideas, um, and concepts, for example, in MedEd, I realized I had a passion in that. And it works with, similarly with the charity that one of my friends started up when he introduced the concept of evidence-based interventions that you could have an effect on mortality. I was like, wow, this fits exactly my passion. And how, how would you advise people to seek exposure to identify their true passions? How do you gain yeah. exposure in a place where you're so confined? Yeah, so I think like you, I think you know anyway, but I will say f- go and find your mentors, mm. yes. right? Don't wait for them to come to you. It's not the person who is teaching you is your mentor, right? Mm. Uh, I was very fortunate, as I said to you about Gustav Born. And I'll tell you a bit more about it. How so? I wasn't a very good student, <laughs> right? Like me. And he was the top guy. So yeah. I knew that everyone, everyone will want to do his BSc project, yeah. right? So what did I do? I went to see him in the summer holidays, and I waited for about three, four hours, and I got to see him for one minute. And he said, uh, I'm very busy, but I'm going to go and do a filming shoot uh, on, you you can come along and watch and see if you like it. So I went to this thing, they were doing a a mesenteric artery laser uh, injury Mm -hmm. to look at how platelets aggregate under an inverted microscope, you know, what's now commonly used, but this was the world's first probably yeah. and and I saw these injury take place uh, and then all these platelets came and gathered and I thought wow this is fantastic yeah. and, and I said I want to do this mm. uh, and the point was and then he gave me a book and said come back when you read it and it was a big thick book well for me it's thick <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 and uh, what happened was I, I read some of it and didn't understand 98% of it <laughs> But I went back again and I had to st- wait for about five, six hours in the corridor to see him. Yeah. Right. And so this that that persistence, I told you, yeah. I knew that if I get with him and then he was very smart. Right. Mm-hmm. He knew that he doesn't have time. Right. Mm-hmm. So he said to me, OK, you want to do this. Let me introduce you to my senior scientist. Yeah. Professor uh, Dr. Peter Gorog. And Peter was who taught me the essence of research, yeah. right? And Gus gave me the inspirations. Mm-hmm. So I worked constantly. And that changed my whole dy- dynamics. Before that, you know, I was just drifting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I definitely agree with the point of having mentors and it's something we do encourage. Go out and seek them. See individuals that... To be extraordinary, find an extraordinary mentor. I agree. And I'm going to leave it at there. <laughs> you are a scientist and if people to research some of the work you've done, some of the papers you've published, it's in maternal health. Tell us a bit more about that. Why maternal health? What are some of the projects you've been working in maternal health? Sure. So if you think of your mother, if I said to you, hands up everyone who's an outcome of pregnancy, that's all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's not just all of us, it's also our mothers. Because one in 15 pregnancies ends in disaster and death. Mm. So knowing that had a big impact on me. And then knowing the fact that if I can do something on this area, uh, because I was a vascular biologist, I was working on menstrual disorders mm. in Cambridge because I worked with a guy called Professor Stephen Smith who uh, was pioneering menstrual disorders. Mm -hmm. uh, and, we, and when I left to be a lecturer, when I came to Birmingham, this is back in 93, one of my colleagues uh, said to me, you know, you're doing some really good work on menstrual stuff. It's difficult to get endometrial tissue as well. Yeah. But why don't you look at placenta? Mm -hmm. It's something we just throw it away. He yeah. was an obstetrician. Ah. And, and I, so I explored what's, what is the problems in obstetrics. The first thing we looked at was preterm labor. But what, the more I went into it and saw that preeclampsia was a big issue mm -hmm. uh, you know one in 12 women out of the 130 million women get it uh, uh, every minute I'm talking with you a mother or a child a baby has died because of preeclampsia right so so it's a big problem there is no treatment it's a bit like what we're thinking of COVID but COVID because it affects the developed world where you know you and I are living, yeah. uh, every billions are being invested, whereas yeah. maternal death yeah. and infant mortality are predominantly in areas that we don't really worry about. Mm, uh, it's so it's not a greatly invested area. Although you know the British Heart Foundation, the Medical Research Council have been investing I mean we got program grants from them so there, there has been investment some investment but not to the level of the kind of money that's yeah. being poured into uh, COVID, COVID yeah. right? Definitely. so mm. uh, how do you feel where and kind of give us an insight do you feel a lot of hot exciting topics get more funding than less topics and how do you kind of overcome that how do we kind of yeah. make change so preeclampsia gets the same funding as COVID yeah, I think it's about making people aware, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's one of the things, Mirzam Therapeutics, that one of the things we're doing in that is making people aware. There are other foundations doing it, but, uh, you know, if, if, every time you talk about it at a conference, uh, not just conference to uh, scientists, because that's what most of us do, but I give talks which is to public, mm -hmm. you know, uh, not just here, mm -hmm. in China, in Saudi Arabia. I was just... Had given, I was invited to give a talk on preventative therapeutics at the 45th Grand Hajj Symposium. Mm -hmm. This was on preventative therapeutics. 
So you know, and that's a broad audience, right? Because yeah. it's it's a, and so you get people to be aware of it, then people will realize that this affects. So why am I doing it, mm. right? I want to make sure that before this decade is ends, mm. no woman who chooses to get pregnant ever need to fear preeclampsia. So my daughter and my students who want to get pregnant in the future don't worry about preeclampsia yeah. because we will have the therapeutics and the diagnostics to solve it. And then you're so passionate about science and research and you kind of talked about curiosity. A lot of our listeners will probably be thinking, how do you go from the world of science, preeclampsia, to all of a sudden founding a medical school in Birmingham um, you know, but I want you to kind of talk about that. Why and how? Right. So I think the two are very connected. So firstly, also family plays a role in this, right? Mm. I was chair of uh, vascular biology in the University of Edinburgh. My family were in Birmingham. They didn't want to move. Mm. So my wife had told me clearly that, <laughs> you know, you decide, but you need to come back. We're not going out. (laughs) (laughs) So that was one factor. Uh, But the other, the main factor was that I was really concerned that there was huge infant mortality in Birmingham compared to other parts of England. And and I had read a report which had showed that in um, Philippines, they had created a medical school in a region which had high infant mortality. And that after 15, 16 years, because of that medical school, had dropped dramatically, more than the national infant mortality had dropped. So putting a medical school in areas of social deprivation may have an impact. And people initially told me, oh, it's probably to do with there is a larger immigrant population. But when you compared it to Bradford or to Mm. Uh, uh, Luton, uh, in a infant mortality in Birmingham was still higher. So there was something uh, about Birmingham. B- Birmingham. Uh, they have ma- made great changes at uh, City Sandwell. They've improved quite dramatically. So it's probably to do with paying attention to it is, is a factor. Mm-hmm. But that was one factor. The, uh, the more I looked into it, then I l- realized that actually medicine is very much... 80% of the students come from either whose parents are doctors, who come from uh, independent schools, uh, uh, kids, my kind of kid, my kids, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so them going to medical school is no big deal. But there were plenty of people who had the opportunity, if given the opportunity, could do it, one. Two, we as a nation are losing talent mm-hmm. because... I, when I was 14, I'd read a p- poem by Richard uh, Gray, I think. It's El- Allergy of Country Churchyard, in which he talks about there are Shakespeare, Milton, mm. Keats buried in this who were never discovered, yeah. right? So in, in that, that had always been in my school I went to. There were kids who were better than me mm. uh, uh, in, uh, academically who left at 16, and I went on to go to university, etc., because of the exposure I had at home. Yeah. You know, I would have been the first in my gen family generation for 
200 years not to go to university yeah. right so wow. so yeah. i had a different kind of pressure mm-hmm. right uh, whereas but i knew that there were people who were better than me who lost out because they had to go to work mm-hmm. so if we can create that exposure so that was those were the main reasons behind it mm-hmm. uh, and birmingham being the second city outside london uh, yeah. should have two medical schools Mm. Now, at the core of Aston Medical School, one of the key cores is social mobility. Um, and you're creating opportunities, access, and you're staying true to what you've actually said earlier on in this podcast, which is exposure. You're increasing exposure. Um, first of all, why the passion in that? Um, because you could have easily drifted off into the sense that you said... Um, you come from a heritage where not going to university would be sort of drifting off rather than the opposite um so how did you develop a passion in hold on a minute i want to equalize this playing field um you said we are losing talent so, I, so one reason is probably there um but what are some of the contributing factors to why make careers socially sort of accessible to all why well there's a number of reasons so first as a child so I was told about my story about my great great grandfather mm-hmm. who was Sir Ali Imam mm. who was knighted by George V mm. and he is known for supporting poor girls into education he was also the prime minister of Hyderabad when it was an independent state mm-hmm. so he moved many people to be socially mobile in there. So I knew that you know it's it's a, a sense of duty, service. Yeah. That's part of our culture and my at least my family's uh, responsibility. You, you have yeah. a duty to do something if you can. And then it's also being in the right place at the right time. I was fortunate when I put that idea mm-hmm. that the head of Aston was uh, Baroness Brown Julia King yeah. uh, uh, who herself was very pro social mobility yeah. diversity uh, opportunity inclusivity so these things i actually learned from a lot from her mm. uh, so it's you know uh, uh, julia is an exceptional individual uh, uh, and 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 i was fortunate to that's why i said to you exposure yes. uh, ex- yeah. learn and constantly being willing to learn from others yeah. you know not just from the high and the mighty mm. you know you learn from everyone yeah. right that's why i say the students know so th- those are the things why i would and then then also also opportunity and i met sir Doug Ellis, mm. uh, who was the chairman of former chairman of aston villa who just passed mm. away and you know i told him what we're trying to do and he said i'll give you some money to mm. do this because this is this these are the people who made me who i am yeah. so it's about giving back yeah right yeah. so i could do something then why not i would do it mm-hmm. uh, and getting that right opportunity then persuading people that this is a good thing to do and yeah. most people believe in good things right yeah. it's just getting it done mm. most people give up Yeah. and I don't give up. Mm. What, what challenges did you have then to because you're right a lot of people do sort of say oh that's a good idea. Yeah, sounds great you should do it. But when push comes to shove we also see sort of people's attitude change that their their heart isn't in in it. What challenges have you faced yeah. when get, getting this up and running? Well, I think the f- the biggest challenge was persuading people that Birmingham needs 
a second medical school, yeah. right? And then there were another group of people who felt medicine was for the people who already go to it. Yeah. Will these kids have the capacity yeah. that there is this arrogance mm. uh, uh, or and I think it's unconscious it's not conscious yeah. uh, uh, and uh, and then and then obviously then the persuading the government that uh, you know because Department of Health felt that they had enough doctors their yeah. workforce planning which is complete <laughs> mess uh, suggested that they had more doctors than they needed to uh, even though we saw that doctors were taking early retirement GPs yeah. were leaving us students like yourselves yeah. were coming out yeah. I mean they may go back in but the many coming out, coming out. and of that 25% yeah. didn't go back yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, losing talent abroad yeah, yeah losing talent abroad and the demand will grow for that actually so mm. my whole thing is bring talent build talent yes yeah. oh that's a very nice word yeah. saying how has it been what's the reception been like how are the students in Asa Medical School how has the community taken to it have you had a positive response yeah, I think, I think this both both the community uh, and the students and the university has seen its its benefit. Now, the work is done, right? So yeah. you can look back, yeah. and if you look at it, there are many students who most socially deprived background who now know that they can do medicine, Absolutely. right? That's one thing because we've proven it yes. and I believe that the kids who are coming out in the first batch who will come out there in the third year now mm. not, are not just going to be someone actually it's not me who's saying it but I, I accept it they, who told me that a friend of mine told me that uh, you have not created a medical school of, to create doctors you've created a medical school that will create leaders because yeah. these kids have resilience mm. you know they are now once they've given the opportunity and what's really unique in the first batch, because the first batch is 80% international who are paying high fees mm -hmm. of 37 to 40,000 pound fees, and the others whose household income is that. Yes. Right? And everyone, there were people who said to me at the beginning, how will they mix? Yeah. You know, they, they're going to be, you know, all this, I had to address yeah. all this. But the reality is, Students don't care what your parents earn. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. And I, I know students who are from two spectrums who are best friends. Wow, it just goes to show. It's just instruments we put in society. Yeah. When really students don't care, it's about having a good time and doing well. Really. Yeah, I mean, and and supporting each other. So my message to my students and the first speech I gave was very simple. If you look to your right and you look to your left. Five years from now, some of you won't be sitting there. That's the statistics. Mm. But you can change that statistics. If you work together and make sure the weakest chain is pulled up. Mm. And what's good about it is that you, there are 22 nations sitting in this room. Mm. And then you will have 22 places to go on holiday for free. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I, I really love that because, you know, in the army, actually, so the way they, they usually um, train all of the soldiers is that they create a course that's almost impossible to do alone and you have to go together. And the person who sort of comes across as very macho, very competitive, I can do it alone, you find that he's ostracized and he's sort of, he doesn't complete the course. And I love the fact that you said go together. Now, most medical schools and most medical students and 
us as juniors, we can say this, is that our experience is that the, the school, the system, the way we're ranked, it forces us against each other. And I think that's where a change needs to come. And I love the fact that you've said you need to go together and make sure that weakest link is sort of strengthened. Because mm. if you go together, you'll go far. Yeah, I mean, um, um, subsequently, the students told me that that message was what resonated with them. So yeah, so I mean, it, you're right. I mean, but I think that's that's the bottom line. Yeah. You know, it's about inclusivity, yeah. right? So even uh, I think of mental health. So people is a very important element, but it's about inclusivity. You know, we're going to be organizing a world's first event. Uh, I can't tell you too much about it till it's. But what it is is about. I see mental health issues as a part of the inclusivity issue mm. uh, and, and I think once we get that message then everyone buys in that it's about people can have you know you can if you've done your backing you can use to work from home yeah. but if you've got a mental health issue people expect you to be at work right yeah which is doesn't make sense mm. so all of those issues need to be addressed addressed, addressed. Yeah. Um, and it's, you can clearly see you're, you're very passionate and you kind of exude leadership qualities, which we kind of aspire to be. What advice would you give to people that are in leadership positions to kind of rally their, you know, it might be employees, their team? What advice? Yeah, well, I don't think they need my advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, I, I personally think it's about recognizing everyone is equal. So no hierarchy, mm. right? Uh, because I think, yes, you, you have power, but actually it's about persuasion. Well, it's, you know, uh, I don't know if I told you about the, my five Ps. No, do tell us. So in 2004, I was fortunate to have tea with Richard Ernst. Mm. Uh, and Richard got the Nobel Prize for NMR spectroscopy in 91. And we were sitting together and I had just published a book of poetry, which I did. Uh, And he was telling me, when's your next book? I was saying, I've got too much (laughs) grants to write. (laughs) You know, uh, I don't have time. And he told me, he gave me in fact a cartoon uh, slide uh, of his two Ps. There were two Ps. He says, in our profession, if you're not thinking of Stockholm, don't do it mm-hmm. and to which i said richard you can say that because mm-hmm. you've got the nobel yeah. right if yeah. i say that my, my students will think i'm crazy yeah. <laughs> right and he said no but you need that additional passion mm-hmm. that his was painting and he was encouraging me to carry on with my poems mm-hmm. because it links you to think creatively outside the box mm-hmm. so that was the the t- what I have found, having done the world's first randomized control trial on statins in pregnancy uh, and Aston Medical School, both, both are big things in the same. Everyone talks about the medical school, but the statin trial is even bigger, yeah. I think, because just think of, will you take, will your mother or your sister take a category X drug yeah. uh, in yeah. pregnancy? What I would say, the, the five Ps, your profession, your additional passion, then you need purpose. So l- ensure that 
you take your passion to drive your purpose that will give you that enjoyment and then you need that resist resilience persistence that when you will be told by many people that it can't be done as i was told and it it won't happen in all those things you don't give up right the giving up most people give up and but then that even then you will hit a brick wall and you can't go through and you can't go around and that's when you need persuasion when you persuade others to join in and it's no longer your vision it's a common vision yeah. it's their vision and they will help you get over that brick wall mm. and that's those are the five p's and i think that's what you need to have in leadership to recognize others uh, so it's not about you driving it mm. it's about helping others drive it mm. wow that's just <laughs> what's interesting with you is you've kind of gone from scientist founding a med school kind of the ceo chairman of a therapeutics company how have each of those changes been have you had to adapt is it still the same skill set um you see someone that is happy taking a challenge and like you mentioned before you don't accept failure how is that process for you what well, you don't it you know to go yeah. from one Yeah well to I, it's not about me this is the f- i mean the, all of them is not about me this is so as muhammad ali once said me we mm. you know it's the smallest shortest poem in the world mm. but it says everything so it may start with me mm. but it's we who do it Mm. So I was fortunate when it was research you know I had a great team they did you know I may have an idea mm. and I say what do you think they will have to do it and see it and we need to write grants and get money and etc etc when it came to medical school I'm not a medical educationalist right so mm. so but what I did I want to know what the problem is so I got a group of uh CEOs mm. of hospitals but at the end of the day medical school is not what happens in the university because you know you guys are working in the hospital yeah. so your bosses are never going to be deans of medical schools no. yeah. they are the CEOs of hospitals yeah. right so i always felt that i need to know what the stakeholder wants mm. and when you asked them they said we they wanted generalist here i was a researcher who wanted to focus on <laughs> cardiology or vascular biology or whatever it is uh, so i came from a working in elite hospitals and universities where it was very much about specialists mm-hmm. and there was the chief executives of hospitals telling me they want they need generalists yeah. so i had to create a school that was going to be more general and then you specialize later medicine you specialize later you don't yeah, need to be a specialist right? so so it was about and then they said the stu- the doctors we get they don't have leadership qualities mm-hmm. so we thought well i thought well why can't we have a a mini mba harvard if you're working in harvard you can do a mini mba mm. so why can't we have a leadership pro so Aston Medical School is the only medical school I kn- as far as I know that has a mini like a mini MBA so you get a certificate of yeah. medical education as part of your student development uh, yeah. uh, program right so there's enough credit and the 
agreement we had mm. with the Aston Business School yeah. was that when these doctors become doctors and be, are junior doctors, they can come back and get their medical certificate into an MBA. Oh, wow. wow, I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah. I wish I'm I would ask officially it. jealous now. <laughs> right? So credits will stay. And mm. so that's, and, and, and that was the, so that didn't come out of me. It came out of a need. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to talk to people. You've right. got to know who the, what the stakeholders want and then provide. So I see students not just as students and mentor kind of thing, but also as customers, mm. also as future providers for when I'm old. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good way of saying it. And I, I love how you've tied social mobility with access to medicine, with access to leadership. You've tied essentially a whole train that is often very limited to the number of people that can get on. And you've now opened the doors. And I feel it's going to allow for that diversity at the higher level that we rarely see that's often completely blocked off. Mm. Um, so Aston will probably give rise to our future leaders. For sure. Uh, which is really amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I think, mm. you know, it. it's not Aston per se. It's I'm hoping that this will be taken up by research intensive universities. Yeah. yeah. Right. So then we get it. It's spread. It's not about specificity. So I was never about, uh, you know, my school kind of thing. Mm. You know, it's about spreading it across the, the country. As I said to you, bring talent to build talent. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think the student, I, I always blame the teacher uh, as a teacher. You know, if the student, my dad used to say that if you don't succeed, mm. it's not your failure, it's my failure. Yeah. Wow. Right? So, uh, uh, so, so in, in, in the, taking that same analogy, uh, 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 and so now, you know, I've got students who've finished PhDs now from, yeah. you know, who've, from Aston Medical Schools. Who, so we not only did medical education, we're also research focused yes. in a, some very uh, elegant way. And now Mirzaim is now spearheading uh, the next phase of my kind of thing, Career. Uh, yeah. which medical school is regional mm. yeah i want by the end of this decade no woman to ever have to worry about preeclampsia mm. and that is the something i can almost taste oh, wow. so we're real you know we, we've already done uh trials with we i can predict with 98 percent certainty who will get preeclampsia we're wow, creating wow. an app which will be so that you go and get your blood test. You'll take a photograph of that from that. That will load up into our uh, cloud-based system, and it will be free, mm. right? That's so amazing. your doctor can tell you that you are at risk or not. Mm-hmm. So, and Mirzaim will not make money from that. Oh, and wow. That's the plan. We will, but we will charge you for your organization you know your drug for Mm. the drugs that Mm. we will develop Mm. obviously wow but i think it's amazing as in you have a lot of people have very short-term goals and visions it's you know i want to become a consultant in the next five ten years whereas you say decade with such emphasis you know the the room is shaking it's what i've learned from you is having these lofty aspirations 
you know, kind of by the end of the decade, I don't want no mother to suffer from pre-cancer. And if so, we want to be there helping them. How hard is it to kind of have such lofty aspirations and visions and goals and kind of working through it? Are there days where you just feel, I've done enough. It's time for me to sit back in your lovely garden, put your seat, you know, your legs up and say, I want to retire. What keeps you going, Prof? Yeah. Well, I'm officially retired. So, <laughs> so, yeah. but, but you're still very active. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, uh, I think it's that sense of duty. Yeah. And I feel that we want to leave, everyone wants to leave the planet a better place than you found yeah. it, right? I mean, that's... Of course. Uh, 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 but you have... You know, you've got to. That's a lot. That's an aim. That's the vision. But you've got to buy, get people to buy into it. And people, you know, you know, we've had investors, you know, who've put millions mm. uh, into Mirzaim, uh, uh, and and they believe. And one of my investors who put that sort of money said to me, "I don't know anything about Mirzaim. <laughs> I don't know anything about preeclampsia. I'm not a doctor, but I know that you will make it happen." Yeah, and so I, so and I, I, because I asked him, you know, why, why are you giving me all this money? Uh, oh, you know, that's a very big question. <laughs> I would just take the money. And go. Uh, you know, because, curiosity. Yeah, curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to know what his, what's his drive, and he said, the more I now, after investing, he said he's read about it, obviously about preclamps. The more he invests, he realizes he can see that this is something. And my wife said to me, medical school's not your legacy. That's mm. just a regional. If you do this, this is yeah. massive. Yeah. And so about your interests outside of all of this work. So I know that you're a poet. Um, tell us about how that interest developed and what's your right now creative outlet? How do you sort of let your mind... So they say the best ideas form when you're sort of doing nothing. Or yeah, when you're creatively expressing yourself, or maybe even sitting in your garden. Yeah. What, how do you sort of that time so I'll tell you the first uh, uh, I'll tell you what I do now yeah I go for walks mm-hmm. right uh, it can be walk on the streets you know uh, and in that time I'm not think I'm thinking mm-hmm. right yeah. uh, or or talking to people on the phone in America or yeah. in China or in Saudi or uh, you know so depending on where we're, so that's that, and those things are important but I think going back to what you said you know what what triggered triggers your uh, how did I get to like poetry yeah so I think I said to you that my father uh, you know he we used to have people stay with us yeah sometimes they were students of his uh, from all over the world and that was a great exposure for for young kids like us uh, and learned a lot from them but uh, one of my uncles who was an MA in English but who was in the Indian uh, foreign service or banking service, you know, but he was stationed in London mm-hmm. and he lived with us for a short period. And he introduced me to William Wordsworth. I was about, I don't know, 14, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, but I really, once I read Lucy Gray, mm-hmm. I, uh, she dwelt among untrodden ways beside the springs of Dove, a maid whom there were none to praise and very few to love. And then he told me the stories behind it and the golden daffodil floating, mm-hmm. all those stories. Uh, I got to know, uh, and he gave me a book called The Golden Treasury. 
And so that's what started the thing. So that's why I said to you, going back to that word, exposure. Mm. It's about exposure. And I'll tell you one more exposure, why I do what I do. So my father was invited by Imperial College to give a talk on 10,000 years of combustion. Because that's what he worked on. And so I, was, I went with him. I was about 14, same mm. sort of age. And I sat in this room in the lecture theatre and it was... It was the, they used to have four of these lectures a year. Mm-hmm. He was giving one of them. And um, the, this book came around. You had to sign in. Mm-hmm. I didn't sign it. And it was signed in by people's name with KCL, King's College London, <laughs> yes, yes. UCL, yeah. uh, IC, you know, yeah, all this yeah. kind of thing. And I was at Airwood School. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to sign it. Anyway, the, I didn't sign it. And when the lecture finished, everyone went down to talk to my dad. I was sitting at the top. Uh, and then Professor Felix Weinberg, FRS, father of electrical combustion, uh, with his goatee beard, mm, uh, yeah. long hair, uh, uh, comes up the steps. Uh, he's the one who's the hosting it and opens this book. And, sa- and I'm getting worried, thinking, what have I done? <laughs> uh, and he says, we have to have your autograph too, you know. Oh, wow. yeah. And I was like, there's 200 people in this room, right? Yeah. I was thinking, wow, how the hell did he know? Yeah. Well, I guess there were only two Ahmeds in the room. Ah. <laughs> right, so he was very smart. And two weeks later, he comes to our house for dinner. And he comes, and he's a professor, Imperial College, fellow yeah. of the Royal Society, and he's rolled up his sleeves, and he's got tattoo on him. And I'm thinking, wow, what a, what a cool professor. Yeah. This is, I'm talking about 1970s, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and... But those were numbers. And I said to him, oh, that's cool. What's that? He goes, oh, I was a boy in the concentration camp. Oh, right. No. Now, when I reflect back on that, I was the insignificant person in that room yeah. in Imperial College. Someone must have been good to him when he, he was the most insignificant person in a concentration camp. Yeah. The fact that he survived and most of his family died, right? He gave me importance because I was the most insignificant. So what I'm saying to you, give importance to to the people who are you think are not significant, or, mm-hmm. or, because you don't know what impact you will have on their life, and that impact he had on my life, it made me who I am. Yeah, you know, it's little things that people do that makes a big impact on people's life. Mm, uh, so I've never given imp- importance to people who think that because they've got power. Or titles. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, I definitely agree. And I think one of the reasons we started off Scrubbed In was kind of similar to what you have done. It's kind of leveling the playing field. And someone once said to me, you know, who would you love to have on the, on the show? Who is your, you know, your Oprah Winfrey moment? And I said, do you know what? It's, that chap that's, you know, he doesn't have a title, he's not known, giving him the opportunity to come and share his story, kind of inspire generation, and then they're like, okay, fine. And that's kind of our motto and ethos. Um, and, and, we, and we've had people sort of listen to one of our guests and they'd instantly say, thank you because you've helped me make my decision. So we had one guest who studied medicine into his late 20s and one of our um, listeners was contemplating, do I study medicine? I love it. I want to become a doctor, but I feel like I'm on the wrong side of my the, the age. And after listening to his journey, she 
felt that she could make a decision she decided to study medicine and it just just being able to inspire change allow people to find their passion their purpose um is what Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you do medicine or not medicine, right? Be important. Whatever you do, do it well. Do yes. it well, yes. Mm. Definitely agree. Professor Asif, I've got one massive question for you. When someone wants to make a change, how do you exactly do it? How do you exactly go about it? What sparks it? What brings it to life? Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult question to answer. But if I think about my own journey mm-hmm. and... So at the beginning, we all, and you are young doctors, so you will do, that. You, it's all about developing yourself, mm. right? So uh, I was a scientist, researcher, uh, academic, uh, and doing really well in, in that as well. And one day, uh, I was walking in Morven Hill with my daughter, who was 10 at the time. And she said something that actually transformed everything. So everything that happened after that, I, I would credit to her in mm. a way. Uh, and it's because she made me see the, she made me see the tree from the woods. So what she said, Daddy, you talk about VEGF, this protein I work on, vascular endothelial growth factor. But what have you actually done? Now, at the time, I sort of thought, What the hell? What do you mean? Uh, what have I done? You know, I'm a professor for eight years. Yeah. I've got a big lab. We're doing great research. Got great funding. But what she really meant is what I said to you earlier about me and we. What have you done for others? And my lab at that time was working out the molecular pathways of how VGF receptor one signals and yeah. which tyrosine residues and because we thought that was really interesting. <laughs> so it's important, but it's not the big picture. Yeah. And it changed. First change was that I did was I moved our research to patient centric. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we how do we benefit patients that led to the discovery of the protective pathways, which So if you remember, I told you at the beginning that preeclampsia, one in 12 women get it. Mm-hmm. We asked the question, what do the 11 have that don't get it? Mm. Yeah. And that led me because we discovered the protective pathways, hemoxygenase and cysteine gamma lyase. And these pathways, we now know how to put new brake pads on, mm. how to pick up the sensors to pick it up and then put new brake pads. So, th- so that was the journey and led to the world's first control, randomized control trial, all of that. I think so. And then that same journey was, you know, what do I need to do on a bigger scale to give opportunity to others, yeah. right? And that's led to the Aston Medical School. And mm. Aston Medical School, not just to social mobility, but focused in a research with maternal health area. Yeah. That was, again, bringing all... So it's all interconnected, really. Yeah. So so when you're looking for opportunity, look at what you want to do, how you're going to make a change, but use your experience mm. to make that change. Because otherwise, you, you, you and that network, use your network, mm. because I was able to achieve it because I was able to seek help from yeah. others. You know, 
uh, one of you said that you went to um, London Hospital. Mm-hmm. So uh, Sir Nick Wright mm-hmm. was the warden of uh, London Medical. So he was my uh, consulting dean when mm. I was trying to set up the medical school. Oh, wow. And Nick said to me something very interesting. Mm-hmm. So he said, when I went to see him and say, can I, I need your help? <laughs> uh, and he said, but why? And then I told him what I want to do. And he and I said, I can't really afford to pay you much. Yeah. And he said, you can't afford to pay me at all. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and he said he will do he will support it because he believed in social mobility. And a few years yeah. when we've done it, I was f- honoured to be able to uh, for the university to give him an honorary doctorate. And and then wow. that's so that, that so so you know it's not you who do it. it yeah. It's but it's bringing people together. 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 And yeah. a massive thank you to. Your daughter, <laughs> yeah, because she sparked a lot of this, isn't it? Sparked yeah, this she's my most ardent critic. <laughs> <laughs> the easier, there's always one. Uh, but I'm glad, and and it's glad you brought that up. I think something that I've noticed about you is you weren't afraid to go out and ask for help, despite the position you are in. I kind of sense that there are a lot of individuals that may have perhaps attained professorship and. I don't know if it's seen as something lesser to go out and ask for help, but for you, at whatever stage you were at, you kind of knew and were happy to ask for help. Um, and I will say one thing, you know, you should always ask for help. You will find that 98% of the people are willing to help. Yeah. And I want our listeners awesome. to kind of take that on board. And if they do need help, ask. There are lots of people that have, and are more than happy to give insight. And we live in a world where everything is accessible. Twitter, Instagram, social media. So yeah. use it to your advantage. We've taken up a fair bit of your time, Professor. Um, we usually ask our guests... Call me Asif. Asif. <laughs> we, we usually do ask our guests to kind of give some advice. I wouldn't say call me Asif uncle because... What advice would you give to young people that do you want to make change? Because you're an advocate for change, be it in social mobility, be it in the change of normal of having to suffer for preeclampsia. What advice would you give to those individuals? Uh, well, that's a. I'm not one for giving advice, but uh, I guess the key thing is find your passion and your purpose, mm. and then let drive let your passion drive your purpose. Uh, whatever you do, do it well and do it sincerely. Be yes. authentic. Mm. Definitely, it's been a pleasure. We've learned so much, and I'm sure our listeners will also benefit. You have, we, we barely touched on all your accolades and achievements um, and we'll leave a note in the description of all the amazing and wonderful things you've done. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure yeah. to speak with you and yeah. uh, your audience and I hope we will do it again. Of and and thank you for coming. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Time. And we've done it socially distanced. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, which is always very good. Um, so thank you and thank you to our listeners and we'll see you all next week.